Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull those out and turn with me to Psalms. And we're going to get to Psalm 122 in uh, a minute or two, because I have, a, I have a, a message before the message. Is that okay? Well, I guess I have the microphone, so um, I have a message before the message. It, so today's the first Sunday of Advent, right? We, we know that seasons change, we get past Thanksgiving, we, and uh, we're already sort of mid-rush to get all the way up to the holiday that we'll celebrate on December 25th. But in the, in the church year, we, we begin a, a new church year with the first Sunday of Advent. And I think in our day and age, the season of Advent is, is one that's just really difficult for us. We don't, our culture is so out of step with what Advent ought to be about that sometimes we just let that spill over into our activities in the church. And so, you know, on the first Sunday of December, you might have come in and wanted to sing Joy to the World, but we were not quite there yet. We're, we're there, but we're not there, right? Jesus came. We're going to celebrate that. He died. He rose again. And so, yes, there's joy to the world, but the season of Advent causes us to pause, slow down, break our routine, break our pace a little bit. There's some heavy lifting. There's work to be done during Advent to get all the stuff out of the way so that when Jesus does arrive, there's a place for him to arrive in our hearts and our life. And we celebrate that over and over each year. So Advent is, you know, we don't like that waiting part of the season. Advent should be about anticipation. It should be about, um, you know, preparation, all of those sorts of things. And we're just so scheduled. We, we can plan everything out. We have a date on the calendar and we know exactly when Christmas is going to be, and so we can make all of our plans accordingly. All of the stuff, um, school programs and musicals and church activities and holiday Christmas party, you know, all of those sorts of things. We can put them on a calendar, line them all out, and we can keep them all in order, and that's, that's good. But it sort of distracts us from what we're, what we're getting to celebrating. So today is December, December 1st, and so you do the math. You know exactly how many shopping days you have left, right? Some of you have 25. <laughs> Get those after Christmas sales, you know. Hey, I thought about you. <laughs> um, some people rush around, and they do their shopping on December 24th and do all their wrapping on December 24th. Other people are more planned out and precise, and you have the dates on the calendar where I've got to get all the Christmas cards in the mail by such and such a date so that they make it to all of the remote parts of the earth on time, and I don't want to miss any of those things, and we get all these deadlines, and ah! Advent is a season that teaches us to slow down. Relax a little bit. Schedules are fine. They're, they're good. They have their place. But Advent isn't 
true Advent isn't on a calendar. Imagine with me, maybe a picture might help you out. Imagine if Christmas happened on the day of the first snowfall every year. People in Florida, sorry, no Christmas for you. <clears throat> Maybe once every 50 years or so. Some of us would have be celebrating Christmas today, right? There was a little snow in some parts of our county, other parts not so much. What if Christmas happened on the day of the first snowfall? We would think about it a little bit different, wouldn't we? About the end of October, first days of November, when those temperatures overnight started to dip below freezing a little bit and the clouds started to form in the sky and you could just, you know, there's just a sense that you get when it's about to snow. Now, trust me, Western Washington people, there is snow and we, you know, other parts of the country, we get a little bit more of it. Sometimes, you know, the, the argument here would be, was that, does that slush count for snow? That would be the argument that our kids have with each other. Mom, Dad, it's snowing outside. No, we're not ready for Christmas yet. That's only slush. And so we would be coming up with these scientific definitions of what snow is and what is not. At what point does it become Christmas? But you can follow this picture in your mind. You don't know exactly when the first snowfall is going to be. And so if you had something to be ready for when, when that white stuff just started floating down out of the sky, it would change how you prepared for it, wouldn't it? You would do some really intentional work of being ready so that at the moment the snow started to fly, you'd be ready to celebrate. You would have done some pre-work in your home, in your heart, in your life, in your travel preparations. You're like, okay, we, we've got to be ready. Because it could happen at any moment. I imagine this would drive teachers at school nuts. You know, because about mid-November, you know, kids would just be looking out the window. I think it's snowing out there, Mrs. So-and-so. We probably should go home because it's Christmas vacation now. Imagine trying to keep focus of kids when they're just anticipating when that first snowfall is going to be. See, we, we have some anticipation. We make this big build up to Christmas, and it starts about July now. And so by the time we get to the event, after all of the plans, after all of the thinking, after all of the eggnog, after all of the hot chocolate, when it finally goes from, you know, Christmas Eve into Christmas morning, it's kind of like a, you just might as well get out of kazoo and go, oh, great, Christmas is here. It feels like it's done. We're worn out. Advent teaches us to think differently. Advent teaches us that, yes, we have, we have something we can circle on a calendar, but the proper work of Advent is one that causes us to do the, the work of anticipation, of readiness, of doing that work in our heart, because it could arrive at any, any moment. And so as we think about Jesus' first Advent, 
he kind of showed up at a sort of inopportune time for Mary and Joseph. They had gone on some travel. Mary was expecting. She knew that at some point, baby's going to arrive. No due dates, necessarily, that were very precise. And they're on this journey to Bethlehem, and Jesus says, hello, world, I'm ready. <clears throat> and then they have a baby. Babies do that, right? Sometimes they show up so unexpectedly and so early, it takes us unawares. Sometimes you get past the doctor's due date, and, and then you're like, oh, I got to pack my bag for the hospital one more day, and just days go by, and, but you're ready. You do that work of, of being ready. And so this Advent season, I wonder if we could do some of that work. And maybe the way to think about Advent is to think of the return of Jesus. We, we're getting ready to celebrate his first arrival. But we know as the people of God, as the people of Easter, that there's a day that he said that he's going to come back and return, and that would be like the second advent of Jesus. And, and, those, and that's, a, that's a time that we don't know. There's not a date on the calendar. In fact, Jesus says, I don't even know when that day is. It's up to the Father. Maybe that's the advent that we should be tuning our eyes towards. As we're getting ready to celebrate Jesus' arrival, that's wonderful. We do that each and every year, and it's good, and it's healthy. But during this season of Advent, may our eyes turn forward to that unanticipated day somewhere in the future. We don't know when it is, but it'll arrive. It could be tomorrow. It could be next year. You see, as we go through Advent season, we rehearse our memories, our stories. We look into the work that Jesus did when he was walking this planet in the flesh. And he went about the work of bringing peace, of giving hope to people, of extending grace and mercy and love. And as followers of Christ going through this season, we ought to be reminded once again that we are called into completing, into continuing the work that Jesus started while he was here. He started it, we continue, and the day that we're anticipating... Maybe it's the first snowfall. It's the day that Jesus will come back and complete and finish all of that work. The psalm that I want to read for you today <clears throat> is in part of the Hebrew Psalter that we call the Songs of Ascent, or the Psalms of Ascent. Three times each year, uh, for the high religious festivals, the people uh, around the countryside would pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. And on their way from wherever it was that they were starting from and ending in Jerusalem, they would sing particular songs along the, the way. And 
these songs of ascent are ones that have been identified as songs that they were likely singing and praying on their way up to Jerusalem. And, and literally, Jerusalem, from most points in the country, was an ascension. You went up to the holy city. But metaphorically, it was it laid out for the people a way that you would live up, take steps up in your faith towards God. It modeled a life of uh, discipleship, a life of faith where you would incline your heart to God. And so in our series for, um, for Advent this year, we're calling it the the Christmas playlist, or the Psalms of the season. And so we're going to look into uh, the Psalms and, and find our soundtrack, our, our playlist for the season. And the first one that I want to read for you is Psalm 122. So if you would stand with me. These are the words, and this one is credited to King David. Psalm 122 reads like this. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. How many of you are on Facebook? Not right now. <laughs> I can see that, I know. I posted in a couple of places this week a, a, a survey question because I know people have been talking about Christmas music, well, since July. Some, people, some of you play it year-round, you know, every once in a while. I have a Christmas song that just pops into one of my playlists, and it's, it's kind of nice to get that in there and bounce along to the beat of, you know, a Christmas drum in the middle of June. But the survey question was your favorite Christmas song and, and the rendition. And quite a few of you in this room responded to that. Uh, I think that I had a total of 61 responses that people typed out their favorite song. And so here's, here's our top three for the people who responded, all right? Because I know maybe some of you are curious, and, and I did calculate it. So we need a drum roll. There we go. All right. Tied for number three, The Little Drummer Boy and Silent Night. So that's, that's number three. Number two is Mary, Did You Know? That's a good one, right? And number one... Grandma got run over by a reindeer. <laughs> now I'm teasing, that wasn't the one. Somebody did vote for that one, <clears throat> but it's Oh Holy Night. And it wasn't close. 
Oh, Holy Night by far was the winner of that. I thought it was kind of a fun way to, to launch into a, a Christmas play. What's on the Centralia Church Christmas playlist? And of course, we come up with songs that we know. The psalms that we're going to look at uh, are songs that come up every so often in our reading. It's not often that you have a, an Advent kind of Christmas series that comes out of the Psalms. Usually we like the texts out of Luke and Matthew that talk about Jesus' birth and Mary getting pregnant and, you know, and John the Baptist and all of those. And, and, and we rehearse those often, but in the, in the church there's the lectionary, and, and each week there is a psalm that goes along with the text. And most oftentimes, the psalm that is selected, we use in some form, uh, some other place in our worship, maybe as uh, an invocation at the beginning, or a transition between songs, or, or maybe as a, um, a way to illustrate something in, in a message. But it's, the psalm is sort of used in a transitional sort of way, but I think there's something deeply valuable for us to go back and look at the prayers and the songs of the people. These would have been maybe some of the songs that would have been on the playlists of Mary and Joseph as they made that journey to Bethlehem. It, have you noticed in our, in our Christmas songs, there's, there's this uh, movement. There's this longing in the lyrics to, to go home. There, there's a longing for a, a, a warm, safe, secure, peaceful, fire-glowing, Christmas lights twinkling sort of feel to our Christmas songs. And it suggests to me that maybe we live in a place that doesn't feel so warm and peaceful and cozy and all put together with the fire glowing. And so there's something in our hearts that when we sing these songs that we would have to move from whatever turmoil or whatever you know, zone we feel like we're in to this place that we, that we long for. I mean, a couple examples. When you pine for the sunshine of a friendly gaze, for the holidays, you can't beat home sweet home. Or, I'll be home for Christmas. You can plan on me. Please have snow, check, and mistletoe. We don't have our mistletoe up yet, I don't think. And presents on the tree. How many of you put presents on the tree? On the tree. A few of you. I love that tradition. Christmas Eve will find me where the love light gleams. Doesn't that sound warm and peaceful? A place that you just want to sink into? I'll be home for Christmas if only in what? In my dreams. Now, whether you grew up in a home that could be described like that, or if you grew up in a home that was opposite of that. Maybe the descriptions would be more like hate and fighting and anger and anguish and turmoil and all of those sorts of things. 
whichever one you grew up in, I think there's a longing in all of us that longs for that safe, secure, peaceful place. And it's evident in the songs that we sing, not only around this holiday, but particularly around this holiday. Our, might, our lives might be filled with whatever turmoil we're facing. Maybe it's, you know, just an unsettled nature in your job. You don't know what's to come. Maybe you don't have a job and, and you're looking and it's, it's creating that angst inside of you. Or maybe there's a relationship that's just wrecked right now and you don't know what to do and you don't know who to turn to and you don't know how to fix it. Or maybe there's just some deep down anxiety that's just, you don't even know maybe why you're feeling anxious, but it's there. And you have this, these disturbances that, you know, fill your life. But there's something inside us that wishes and hopes for a better tomorrow. That's what's going on in the psalm. All those thousands of years ago, when the song was composed... It wasn't a warm, safe, peaceful place or time. The people struggled with all sorts of things, and they were making that ascent up to Jerusalem. They were, they were going for one of the high holidays, the religious festivals. They were inclining their hearts to God, and they were taking the steps to go be in the house of the Lord, to be in God's sanctuary, because they longed for something better than what they were experiencing. They're living one set of harsh circumstances, and they're, they're longing for this time of peace and security that they believe that only God is the one who could provide for them and help them get to and as they go up, they, they're, it's like they're heading home. I'll be home for Christmas, you could say. They see Jerusalem as their, as their center where, where God resides, the place where God resides. Now, when, when King David took over, he moved the capital city. He, had, he set up his capital in Jerusalem, and one of the things that he did is he moved the Ark of the Covenant uh, to Jerusalem. And so the... the Something you need to know about the Ark of the Covenant, there were two angels that were on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And in Exodus, I think it's in chapter 26, and I think it's verse 25. Somebody could verify that for me. But I, somewhere right around there, it, it talks about the place right above the angel's wings as being what we call the mercy seat. And, and Exodus talks about the mercy seat being the place where God would meet with where God would commune with his people. And so as the people ascended up to Jerusalem, they, looked, they, they thought about it in terms of, I am going home to commune with my creator God. I am ascending to the mercy seat where I can be with because when I'm with God, it doesn't matter what else is going on all around me. I feel like I'm in a place that is secure. I feel like I'm in a place that is peaceful. I feel like I'm with someone who can provide the things that I'm not really able to provide for myself right now. 
and they're looking forward to that. They're inclining their hearts and their minds and their lives physically in their steps as they go up to Jerusalem. I, I hope that when you get up, usually on Sunday mornings, and you think about going to the house of the Lord, which in our vernacular today, we think of as the church. Now, the church is the people, but, but there are physical locations of churches. And I hope that you might think in your minds that, hey, I'm, I'm going to meet with the Lord today. I'm, I'm going to that place. I'm going to that sanctuary that I don't care what else is going on in the world around me. I'm going to have 90 minutes where I can sit in the presence of my Creator. Now, you could certainly do that in other places because God is with us all of the time, but there's something deeply meaningful about coming to a place. And I, I hope that maybe you think about this place, this sanctuary, as a place where you can direct your footsteps, a place that you can go up to the house of the Lord, where when you arrive, you feel like you're in the presence of your Maker. What I love about this psalm is that, uh, to me, it reflects a life of faith. As I was reading it, um, I, think it's, I think it's the perfect passage to begin a new church year. And I think metaphorically, if we talk about it that way, it's, a, it's not like we start our faith new every year, but it's, it's like we get to a point in our church calendar where we flip the page and it feels like a clean slate. When we get to January 1st on our calendar, you know, all the appointments and stuff from last year goes away. And we're, we have a clean slate for the new year. And I think this particular psalm is one where we can look at it at this point in time in, in our new church year and think of our faith afresh, our faith anew. I think that it gives us in miniature the movement of the life of faith, that that all of our life should be one continual act of praise for God and service to to our neighbors, to, the, to those around us. And so I think our journey, or our pilgrimage, if you will, is marked by acts of praise and prayer, and it gives us a purpose. And when we journey to the heart of God, we become, we actually become God's peace, God's representatives of peace out in the world, in all of the places that, that we walk and travel. If you, so as we enter into this pilgrimage or this journey, we began the psalm, the psalm, and the psalmist says, I rejoiced. I rejoiced. I was glad. But it doesn't stay in the singular for very long, does it? It starts off as I. I rejoiced. My heart was made glad. Why? Because somebody invited me to join the procession up to the house of the Lord. I was called into a community. I was asked to join this pilgrimage to go. So I was happy about it. I wasn't happy 
because of the ending circumstances. That's, that's one thing. At the beginning, the, psalm, the psalmist is happy. He is glad. He rejoices because he's called into a community. You see, our life of faith, there's something deeply personal about it with our relationship with God. But there's a deep sense of community. This is not something that we embark on totally by ourselves. We are called into a community, and there's something that, that, that joins us together, this, this plural nature about it. And even the prayers that come up in the rest of the psalm are mostly focused on us, on other. There's a connected nature to this journey. We pilgrimage together. Now that, it doesn't sound very upsetting, but that's a very radical statement in our world. We pilgrimage together is a radical statement because our world says you go it alone. You have to suck it up Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You have to be able to figure it out on your own. You have to come up with the strength to carry on. There's others around you, and you can consult them, and, and that's, that's fine and good. But at the end of the day, it's all about you. That's what the world says. And so when we come together as the church, and we constantly point out that this is something that we do together, that's a radical statement that we're sending out into the world. I mean, think about it. Road trips are so much better. They're so much more fun when you pile your crew in a car and you just go. I mean, there's a time for driving alone, but it's way more fun when you can crank up the playlist, get the crew in the car, pack whatever gear and food you need, and just drive. Where are you going? I don't know. Somewhere. I remember... It was in April. It had been a long winter. We were over in Spokane. There were a few of us guys. We were kind of itching to play a little golf. And one of us said, hey, why don't we, why don't we go golfing today? Uh, Dennis, there's snow on the ground. Well, we're just going to drive south until we find a golf course that doesn't have snow on the ground. And so we did. And it was fun. There's something about that journey that binds you together. The stories, sharing life. You can be real with each other. There's times for that. See, our life of faith is not, it's not something that's easy. <laughs> our life in general is not something that's easy. And so we need each other. We need each other for accountability, helping keep us on track. When we want to get a little sideways, there's, there's somebody there that's like bumper bowling, gets us back in the lane. When we're about ready to crumble, when our heart is aching, when anxiety is about to take us down, when when something is about to happen that's really bad, you have people who are there to hold you up. 
to be with you. Not necessarily to fix it, but just to be there. When things are going well, there's people there to celebrate. And so there's joy in our journey when we travel it with, with other people. You can hear that in the notes of this psalm. The, they know life is hard. They, they're dealing with circumstances that are beyond their control. And yet when they come together and they're making their pilgrimage up to God, there's joy. And there's a bounce in their step. And the stuff that's dragging them down, they can leave behind for a little bit. We're on a pilgrimage. Another part of our life of faith is praise and prayer. How do we live a life of praise and prayer? When the people get up to Jerusalem and they arrive there, they, they go into the sanctuary, into the house of the Lord, and into God's, in, when they step into God's presence, metaphorically entering into the city, uh, it awakens this spirit of joyful gratitude in their lives, and they, they praise him for who he is, and they praise him for what he has done for them, and, and that he is there, and that he is the one um, that they can turn to, and, and so they, they turn to him in praise and lift his name, but they also, they also go through the longings of their heart. They go to him in prayer, and they ask for things. Lord, we need peace. We pray for peace. Lord, we need security. We don't really feel secure right now. Lord, Lord, help. And they feel like they can, they can praise him and they can pray to him. And even though Jerusalem has, has suffered and been a place and the site of turmoil and strife, the, the people are hopeful that God will make it right and they will hear their cries once again and bring about the peace that they long for. So despite the difficulties, despite what Jerusalem had gone through, the city is one that unites this family of God together in praise and prayer. To spend time in Jerusalem was to spend time at the heart of God, to be reminded of his tender care of the people, time to give him thanks for his righteous rule. And when we say the house of the Lord, we're talking about church. And despite its difficulties that the church, church in general has had down through the ages, it's still a place that unites the family of God still the place that brings the people of God together and the world desperately needs to see examples of people coming together. Desperately needs examples of people who may not always agree on everything, of people who there may be dividing lines on one side and the other side. The, the, the world longs for a place where despite any of our differences, we can come together in unity and pray for peace. Because we're certainly not getting that in our political centers. 
the church needs to take the lead and being the demonstration of what that looks like in the world. Remember how the psalm started, I rejoiced. I was, I was glad when they said to me, let's go up to the house of the Lord. I think he was rejoicing, and I think the people were glad that they had the hope that their burdens might be lifted, that justice might be done, and restitutions made. They were overjoyed in the unity of God's people coming together for worship and for fellowship. They were glad because their hope had been rekindled that maybe, just maybe, times could change and they could experience some refuge and safety, even if it was just a poetic longing for a better tomorrow. It lifted their spirits. And isn't that, isn't that true in, in our own world? We long for peace, and yet we travel in a world that seems more like chaos and filled with hate and, and injustice. And like the people that are arriving in Jerusalem, we know the trouble the world faces. We know that it's not a place filled with peace or security or safety. And so as we go from this place, as we come to this place, we, we, should be, we ought to be a people who can praise God for who he is, a people who praise God for his faithfulness to us, for his salvation, for his grace, for the cross, that he would care enough, that he would love us enough to send Jesus whom we are celebrating his arrival this season. That he would send Jesus to die to take care of the penalty of our sin. There are so many things that we can praise God for. And at the same time, we can go to him in prayer and we can lift up the needs that we have for ourselves, for our families, for our church, for our community. Our, our prayer is outwardly focused. We can pray for peace in our homes. We can pray for peace in our nations. We can pray for justice to be done. We can pray for wrongs to be righted. We can pray, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, our daily bread. We don't say, put food on my table, God. We say, give us this day, what? Our daily bread. May the needs of those in my household and in my community and in my world be taken care of. It's not a singular prayer. So in the midst of a reality that might be tenuous, the people held out hope for a world in which God's will is fulfilled and his kingdom is brought to the earth. And one of final step in a life of faith, you might say, is that our life of faith gives us a purpose. It gives us a purpose. It gives us something to work on, something to do. We're Easter people living in an Advent world, and we're called to pray for God's people and well-being for all people, not just ourselves, but we're, we're also challenged to become the peace that we're praying for. We're, we're not just called to pray for peace. God, bring peace. You can't pray to God in one breath to bring peace and then go dismantle your neighbor with the next breath. 
If you pray for God's peace to come, then you go as his image bearer. You go as his ambassador. You go as his peace out into the world. So you become the peace that you're praying for. You pray for God to provide for people. You know what? God needs people to provide. So you can't pray for God to provide something in one breath and go be stingy in the next breath. What you pray for, oftentimes God turns around and taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, you know that thing that you were praying about? I have a solution for that. Great, what is it? It's you. That's how it works. So the things, the steps that we're taking as we incline our hearts to God, as we take steps to be in his presence, to be shaped by him, when we, when we go to the cross, when we accept Christ, we, we don't show up at the foot of the cross and, and bow our knees and, and bend our wills to his and go away the same person. You go away changed. You go away transformed. The power of the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us and makes it possible that we leave our experience of the cross as different people. As people who step by step by step, as we move towards God, begin this transformation process and we become more like Jesus. And along the way, we're praising God and we're offering our prayers up to him. And when that work is done deep in our hearts, deep in our souls, we are changed. And God gives us a purpose out in the world. And that's to continue the work that his son Jesus came and started. Being peacemakers being joy bringers, being providers, all of these sorts of things, extending grace, extending mercy. That's the work that we are called to in this world. That's a lot of stuff to think about in one little song that we read. But it's a life that we are called into you see, as we go through this season, we, we can look around, we can click on the news, we can, whatever method you get your news from, if you click it on, there's probably something bad that steals the headline. So we can travel amongst that and we can long and pray for how it could be when Jesus returns. When he comes to wrong, make right the wrongs, to bring peace where there is no peace, to bring security and safety where it's absent. And so we long for that, we pray for that, not how it is right now, but how it will be, and that's what Advent is all about. It's the day somewhere out there when Jesus returns and so we begin to do that work now of anticipation. It's a call for us to what? To be ready when he returns. Will he find us faithful 
to our calling. And as we pray and sing for peace and justice, it kind of sounds like this. Lord, may there be peace and may it start with us. People of God said, amen. Our worship team is going to come back and...